Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here to worship with us at the Vista. Uh, whether this is your first time or you've been with us for a while, we're always glad you've chosen to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. Uh, you're joining us at a really great time. We're in the second week of a series this summer called A Shared Gospel. And, and again, the premise for the series is, you know, we all tend to be a bit captivated by the big names and the big stories in the Bible, right? Um, and rightly so. There's a lot we can learn from some really major characters major figures and some of those great stories. But as I said last week, behind every sort of big name, there's usually a series of other lesser known characters that help make their story possible. And again, part of the reason for that is um, the mission to which we've been called, the gospel that we're to sort of be putting forth, it's not an individual endeavor. It's very much a shared endeavor. It's a shared Gospel. And so, specifically this summer, we're looking at um, some companions and ministry partners of the Apostle Paul. Okay? I mentioned last week, the Apostle Paul, uh, other than Jesus himself, is kind of the biggest name in the New Testament. He writes like two thirds of the New Testament. Um, He traveled and planted churches in places that had never, uh, never heard the gospel before. He took the gospel to the Gentiles, right? And so in a very real way, you and I are sitting here in church today worshiping. Uh, It can be traced back to the ministry of the Apostle Paul, okay? But again, I said this last week, Paul never did anything alone. He didn't travel alone. He didn't plant churches alone. He had a lot of people helping him along the way. So last week, we looked at a guy named Ananias, right? Um, Ananias is the first one to sort of go to, his name was Saul at the time, and He was able to minister to him. He was able to baptize him and uh, really help Saul's ministry uh, get get going there. And so he's only mentioned a few times in the the New Testament, but he played a pivotal role in Saul's life. Today, we're going to look at another companion, a friend, ministry partner of the Apostle Paul. His name was Barnabas. Barnabas, okay? His story is found in several places throughout the book of Acts. And so to begin, if you have your Bibles, we're going to start out in Acts chapter 4. That's the first place that we're introduced to this man named Barnabas, Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, one of the things we're trying to do this summer also is highlight here at the Vista some of our friends, some of our ministry partners, people that help us be the church that God has called us to be. Many people work behind the scenes, people you may never get to meet or see, they help things function here. Uh, Some of the people that play a pivotal role in what we do are our small group leaders, all right? We've got a picture of, uh, these are our favorites, I'm just kidding. Um, These are just some of our small group leaders. Uh, We don't, again, we don't have enough pictures of, of every, to put them all up on the screen, but we have a lot of small group leaders, people that have said, look, I want, to, um, I want to help lead a, a small group of people, um, and, and some of these same people open up their homes. In other situations, some people may lead the group, but then there's maybe someone else that opens up their home, practices hospitality, so that uh, people can come together once a week and discuss, um, uh, you know, whether it's the sermon or a book or a book of the Bible, and they can build community together. Um, and I say this a lot, but like our small groups, we really see our small group leaders as pastors, they're, they literally, uh, they're, they're like pastors for their group, okay? Um, and so what they do in, in a church our size as we've grown, um, we, we rely on small group leaders to help shepherd and guide, and they are unbelievably faithful. And um, so we're just really grateful for our small groups um, and our small group leaders. And I'm not going to have them all stand, uh, but it, can, we just, can we just maybe give a hand to all of our small group leaders this morning? 
thankful for the time and the energy, the effort, and the commitment they make week in and week out to help shepherd God's people. Um, so if you haven't said this in a while, in your small group, make sure you let your small group leader know how much you appreciate them. And uh, incidentally, you know, if, if, you're, if you're curious about how do I become a small group leader, um, you can talk to Nick or Sarah, our community pastors. They would love to talk with you about what it means to be a small group leader. You don't have to be like, you know, super, like know all the verses and, 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 and have a lot of deep theological training to do that. Um, a lot of times it's just being available and being willing. And so if you would like to do that, uh, they would love to talk with you. We're always in need of more small groups, all right? So uh, Barnabas is an interesting character. Honestly, I could have probably done a series of sermons on Barnabas. Um, as you begin to dive into God's word, you see uh, a lot of layers to this man. And, and, and really, um, again, his, his role, I think we'll see this morning, was pivotal in the life of the Apostle Paul. Okay? Barnabas was known as an encourager. How many of you could use a little encouragement today, right? The rest of you are lying, right? Like we, could all, we could all use encouragement in a world that is full of discouragement, right? Um, we could all use more encouragement. Um, it, there are so many things in this world to get discouraged about. You could just watch the news for like five minutes and you're discouraged, right? It's just discouragement everywhere. Sadly, even in the church, I'm convinced there are those in the church that think that discouragement is a spiritual gift, right? Uh, they'll send the email. They're like, well, I'm just constructively critical, I'm like, no, you're just mean. That's what you are. You're mean, right? Like, you don't have to be critical about everything, right? I just tell it like it is. Again, no, you're just mean. Like, that's, that's not a spiritual gift. What we need is people that are encouraging, encouraging, and that's Barnabas. We're going to see in a moment. His name literally means son of encouragement, and he was an unbelievable encouragement uh, not only to Saul but to other people, and as I thought about this idea of encouragement, um, I thought, man... How specifically was Barnabas encouraging, right? How specifically? What are some sort of tangible ways that he was encouraged? That's what I want to look at today. I want to look at some specific ways that Barnabas was encouraging, and then hopefully we can learn from this godly man about how we also can be an encouragement to other people, all right? So we're introduced to him in Acts chapter 4, and I'll begin uh, in Acts 4 beginning in verse 32. Here is what is going on. Here's what it says. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many were owners of lands or houses, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And they laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Okay, so this is the early church, right? The first Christians. And again, um, putting this in context, like they literally believed and lived like Jesus was coming back in their lifetime, okay? They thought Jesus was going to be back soon, very, very, very soon. And so that kind of changes the way, you, the way you live, right? Like if you believe Jesus is coming back tomorrow... Uh, do, you, do you need a bunch of land and a bunch of houses, a bunch of stuff? Like it's, I'm just saying to put it in context, like, I, I, because again, I've heard this preached on like, God wants you to sell all your stuff and give it to the, and I'm like, well, you gotta, again, let's kind of think of what's going on here in Acts 4. But they were, man, there was a, just a radical, unbelievable kind of generosity that was being, uh, that was taking place in the early church. And in, in that context then is where we're introduced to Barnabas, 
Apparently, he's like the one mentioned as the exemplary, he's the, he's the example given of this crazy kind of generosity. That's what, that's what it, says, it says next, okay? So thus, Joseph, verse uh, 36, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Again, we don't, we don't know if this was like a, an extra piece of property. We don't know if this was like the primary property where he lived. We don't, we don't really know much about that. But the reality is um, he's used as this crazy example of generosity where he went and sold something that belonged to him and he brought it then to just help the church, to be an encouragement, to be a blessing to the church, particularly those that had some need within the church. That's kind of my, my first big idea and what we learn about Barnabas is that Barnabas encouraged others by his generosity. Barnabas encouraged others by his generosity. Can I just tell you that you may have no greater opportunity to be a blessing and to encourage than when God's people, the church, decide they're going to live generously. Now, I always want to be careful because I realize, I fully recognize um, that right now, life just costs a lot of money, right? Like if you filled up your car recently, you, you know that. If you bought groceries recently, you know, you know that. Like, and some of you are very much feeling the pinch. For some of you, it's not just a pinch. It's like a full-on stranglehold headlock, right? It's, it's expensive right now to just buy anything, right? And so what happens sometimes in the church is that when um, it, the cost of living is high, and this isn't just true for the church, this is true for pretty much all uh, organizations, is that the, the, the giving and the donations tend to go down. At the same time, what happens is the need over here, because of the economic situation, tends to go up. You see the problem, right? When, uh, when we feel the pinch, we tend to give less. The need, on the other hand, is greater and greater and greater. And so one thing we always want to sort of encourage you, the church, to do is to continue to live generously, continue to be people that give. Now, again, I always want to tread lightly because, again, for some of you, maybe you're at a place right now where you're like, man, I can't give anything. In fact, you may need to be a recipient of some of that, right? We have people and families in our church that we, we always need to help out. And, uh, and so I just want to, this first point, I always draw the short straw on talking about giving. It seems to work out that way. Um, but, but giving, again, Jesus talked about money and finances and giving and stewardship, roughly like 50% of his teaching. And so I always just want to remind you, in, in regards to giving, I want to remind you of just two big truths that I want you to keep at the forefront of your mind, okay? Always, always, always. These are two big ideas. Number one in regards to giving is that we are not owners of things, we are stewards of things, okay? That's, we say this all the time. Christians, we have to get out of the mindset that we're owners. Christians should see themselves not as owners, but as stewards. Everything we believe about, about giving starts with that premise, that we are not owners, we are stewards. You see, owners, they hold on to their stuff very tightly, because after all, it's theirs, it's mine. I've earned it, I've worked hard for it, it belongs to me, right? So we tend, to, we tend to hold on to it, we tend to protect it at all costs. But if we could begin to see ourselves not as owners, but rather, man, everything I have is a blessing from God. Ultimately, all this belongs to the Lord. I'm not owning this stuff, I am stewarding these things, and God has entrusted me uh, to steward some of what is His uh, rightly in this life, okay? We've gotta begin to understand, we're not owners, we are steward. When I'm a steward, man, I don't have to hold on to everything quite as tightly. I can look for opportunities and ways to be a blessing to other people when I see myself as a steward and not an owner. 
The second big idea in regard to giving, and Jesus is very clear about this in Matthew 6, verse 21, and that is the idea that your money follows your heart, okay? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, okay? And so this is an important principle because um, what we always try to be really clear about is God doesn't need your money, okay? God's doing fine without your money. God doesn't need your paycheck to make it, right? Like the Bible says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, which is a way to basically say he owns it all already, okay? So God doesn't need your money, but here's the big idea. What God is after is your heart, okay? God is after your heart. And so the principle is that your money, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And so when we can get into consistent patterns of giving, then again, that's where, that's where our heart's going to be. And this premise that God is after your heart, that's why we always say when it comes to giving, it's not what God wants from you, but it's what God wants for you, okay? It's what God wants for you because it's good for your heart. It's good for your heart. And so those are just two big ideas when it comes to giving we always want to keep in front of you. Uh, We're not like after your money. We're not, again, if you're here, if you're visiting for the first time, you're like, oh, I knew it. Some preacher's going to go up there and tell me I need to give a bunch of money. That's not not where I'm going, right? I am just saying as a matter of a principle that God's after your heart. And if we can begin to see ourselves as stewards rather than owners and understand that my my treasure, uh, my treasure is going to follow my heart. It's a pretty good indicator. It's a pretty good indicator. And so that's kind of the first big way that Barnabas was encouraging. He was encouraged, uh, he encouraged others by his generosity. He encouraged others by his generosity. And again, I, I mentioned this in the first service. There's a lot of practical ways that you can do this, right? A lot of practical ways that you can be an encouragement with your generosity, um, I mentioned that um, the cost of everything is high right now, right? Gas and grocery, whatever, you name it, it's pretty high. You know what else is high right now? The cost to just go to camp, right? The cost to send students to camp. Like, we're going to send 130 kids to camp in a few weeks. That's a great number. You know, a, a lot of them, families really have a hard time paying for that. So, I don't know, that's just a tangible way. One way that you could encourage someone else with generosity is maybe some of you are at a place where God's blessed you, you've got some extra, and you're like, you know what, I could, I could sponsor a kid to go to camp. That could, that could help a family immensely, right? That could be such an encouragement to help a sponsor a kid to go to camp. You want to do that, you can go on our, our website and, and go to the Give uh, tab, and there's a way, there's just a button there, Sponsor Student for Camp. That's, a, that's an easy, tangible way to be an encouragement by your generosity, I know because I'm sponsoring two kids to go to camp. They're both my children, but, but I'm sponsoring two, right? Like, it, it, it can be a lot. And so we are never, just so you know, we are never going to turn a kid away that wants to go to camp because they can't pay for it. And so um, our church being generous is an encouragement and, and, and a big help to kids that want to that do that. There's other ways, obviously, at the end of the service, Jonah and uh, our friend Adam from Serve Life are going to talk about other ways that you can, you can be an encouragement, you can be a blessing by your generosity. That was Barnabas. I love the fact that the first time we're, we're introduced to Barnabas is because he was so stinking generous, right? First thing they mention about Barnabas is this guy was generous, all right? Uh, flip over with me a few pages to the right to Acts chapter 9. We see Barnabas again in Acts chapter 9. We were in Acts 9 last week. Uh, you might remember, uh, Saul was uh, essentially, like I said, a, a religious terrorist. I mean, he was, his whole goal was to uh, persecute Christians. So he's on his way to Damascus to persecute Christians. It says men and women to drag them off um, in chains, throw them in prison. That was why he was going to Damascus. 
And so God gets a hold of his life. Jesus literally just shows up to him on the road, blinds him with a great life, speaks to him audibly, and Paul changes teams. I mentioned last week, like there's no clearer picture in all of the Bible of a guy who is anti-God, anti-church, anti-Jesus, and God's like, that guy's, he's on the wrong team. He's going to be on my team now. And he just changes his heart, right? And we were introduced then to a guy named Ananias who was able to go to him and, and, and lay his hands on him. And Paul got his sight back and uh, Ananias got to baptize him. It was a really cool story, all right? So we pick up then in Acts 9 after this in verse 26. It says, when he, that's Saul, had come to Jerusalem, so now they've left Damascus, going to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple, right? So can you imagine? Saul, the, the, the great persecutor of Christians, shows up and he's like, hey guys, I love Jesus now. I'm on your side. <laughs> and they're like, okay, buddy, right. You're not getting in. Like, we're not letting you in the club. You're not... They don't, they don't trust him, man. They think like he's here to persecute. He's going to like pretend to be a disciple and then he's going to get us. And they, none of the disciples trust this guy named Saul because they've heard the kind of person that he is. Look at the next verse, verse 27. But Barnabas, I, I underlined that, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And so he went in and out among, the, among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Man, I mentioned early on that like most of us could trace the, the reason we're here today, if you traced it far enough, why we know Jesus today is because of the Apostle Paul. In a very real way, we can trace it to Acts chapter 9, verse 27. But Barnabas, because without Barnabas advocating for Paul, the disciples probably don't ever trust the guy. Without a reputable, godly man being an advocate for, for Paul, they might never let him in. They might never fully trust him. But, but Barnabas steps up. Man, Barnabas goes to bat for this guy. Barnabas convinces the disciples that though he is on our team, that his salvation is genuine. My second big idea is that Barnabas encouraged others by his advocacy. Bar- Barnabas encouraged others by his advocacy. Man, Barnabas went to bat for Paul when nobody else would. Think about this. And who is it in your life that needs an advocate? Man, who is it that that needs you to be an advocate for them, right? The thing about Barnabas when it comes to advocacy is Barnabas didn't solely see Saul through the lenses of his past, but but he saw the potential in what God could do with him in the future. And that's what it means to be an advocate for someone, right? And someone needs, maybe someone needs you to step up and maybe they've made a ton of mistakes and, and everyone sees them through the lenses of who they were and what they've done and all their sin and all their baggage and they just need someone to step up and go, man, I'm not judging you for that stuff, but I see what God can do with you in the future. That was what Barnabas did for Saul. That's what Barnabas did for Saul. He stepped up and he convinces the disciples, this guy's legit, this guy's genuine, this guy can do big things. Sometimes we all need an advocate. Barnabas encouraged others by his advocacy. The next time we see Barnabas is in Acts chapter 11. So in chapter 11, um, I'll begin in verse 19. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, so remember in Acts chapter 7, I mentioned this last week, that Saul 
literally was leading out in the stoning of a man, a godly man named Stephen. They stoned him to death, and it says witnesses laid down their cloaks at the, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And so um, literally before he met Jesus, again, he was this great persecutor, and he persecuted the church, and when Stephen dies, the church is scattered. They're scared. They're scattered. Again, there's a whole other sermon here, but like, it's amazing how God can take something so awful like persecution and death and yet use it for his purposes. Because when the church is scattered, guess what? They scatter and they're then teaching and preaching the gospel in places it might not have been if there wasn't persecution. If you follow Christianity, what you find is that during seasons of persecution, the gospel spreads rapidly. Pretty awesome, right? So those who were scattered because of that persecution over Stephen, uh, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. So originally it was just this offshoot of Judaism. They just preached to the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, people outside of Judaism, spoke to the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So the report of this came to the ears of the church back in Jerusalem, and they sent who? Barnabas, right? They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Can you imagine that discussion? They're like, man, who can we send that will be an encouragement to these new believers? Barnabas' name came up pretty quick. It's probably unanimous, right? Let's send Barnabas. They send Barnabas, verse 23. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was, this is speaking of Barnabas, he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Man, I love, that's a pretty good resume right there. A good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Some good things to be known for, right? That's Barnabas, man. That's who he was. The church is going, man, we've got all these new believers. Things are happening over there in Antioch. We need to send somebody to really encourage these guys. And so Barnabas goes, and it says he exhorted them. He exhorted. That's a big biblical word we don't use a whole lot. But exhortation basically means to give advice, to give recommendation, maybe to give warning at times. It's verbal help or verbal affirmation, okay? Verbal affirmation. It's the building up of others. That's what Barnabas does. My third big idea is that Barnabas encouraged others by his exhortation. He encouraged others by exhorting them. Man, this is like, again, verbal affirmation. How many people in your life, man, could just use a little bit of verbal encouragement? People that you come around every single day, maybe people in your own family, man, they're just discouraged by everything and they just need someone to just be a voice of encouragement to them. That's what Barnabas was for these young believers. And he just shows up and he exhorts them. He just, he builds them up as best he can. Man, we could use some more Barnabases, right? We could use some more Barnabases. Um, I've got some people in my life that, that just really encourage me a lot. And you know what's funny? I find myself really wanting to be around those people, right? People in your life that just build you up, that just encourage you when you're, when you're down. And those are the people that you just love to, to be around, okay? That's what Barnabas did. He just exhorted them. And then um, another kind of our, the last big idea I want to share with you this morning, um, something else that Barnabas had in his life that I think, that I think speaks volumes, um, so they're in Antioch, right? 
and things are happening in the church. Man, people are coming to know Jesus, both Jews and non-Jews. Uh, Barnabas goes, he's, man, there's, there's people coming to faith, so there's people to be discipled, there's people to be led, there's a lot of teaching that needs to take place. Follow me. Barnabas could have stayed there and just been the guy, right? He could have been the guy in Antioch. He could have built a big ministry. He could have built a big church. He really could have built a name for himself. He didn't need someone else to come along with him. But watch what happens next. Verse 25 says, So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So again, Barnabas, again, he's, he's followed Jesus longer. He, he's got more, he understands more. Um, he could have led. He could have stayed there, been the pastor, built a big ministry, built a reputation, big name for himself. But instead, you know what Barnabas does? He goes, wait, who else could I go get that I could sort of bring along and sort of fan the flame in them? Ah, there's that guy Saul. I bet he'd be good at this. I'm going to go get Saul. And I'm going I'm to bring Saul along. I'm going to help fan the flame in Saul so that God can work and use that guy. And he, he's there for a year sort of working with him, probably showing him the rope. Here's how we're going to do this. Like some of us have this idea that Paul is the big name. Paul did all this stuff. Paul's the big guy. And he, he kind of brought Barnabas along with him sometimes and then Silas sometimes and then Timothy. But actually, that's not the picture the Bible gives. The picture the Bible gives is actually that, that Barnabas is the one bringing Saul along, right? And just to drive this point home even further, Starting in Acts 13, uh, Paul and Barnabas travel together on what is known as their first missionary journey to preach the gospel and plant churches. So they, they leave and they travel together. They're friends and ministry partners. Really, it's Barnabas sort of bringing Saul along, right? And then there's an interesting thing that happens in verse 14 that I think just drives this point home even more, right? So I'll read uh, beginning in verse 8 of Acts 14. It says, Now at Lystra there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. And he listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and he began walking. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in Lyconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. So they see this miracle and they think, Barnabas and Saul are like gods. They believed in Greek mythology, Greek mythology. And, and here's what it says next. Barnabas, they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. I had to get a little refresher on my Greek mythology lessons this week. So I, I looked up some stuff about Greek mythology. And you know what's interesting? Hermes in Greek mythology was actually Zeus's son, and if you look up a ranking of the Greek gods, in every ranking, Zeus is number one. Hermes is way down the list at number 10, right? Hermes is number 10, all right? And I also looked up the look. What are the, the renderings, the statues? How did they view these two gods? Hermes looked like this, short, small, uh, kind of looks like a bit of a sky fairy. I don't really know. He's got some Nike Air sandals there. I don't know what's going on with his feet, got wings on him. This is the picture of Hermes. This is what they called, they called Paul. He talked a lot, I guess. I don't know. He was the speaker. That's how they viewed Paul. Zeus, on the other hand, uh, well, he looks decidedly more masculine. 
He looks like a WWE superstar, right? He is just ripped, right? So I want you to understand this. It's a small part of Scripture, but basically when they roll in, we again, we think of Paul as the big dog and then all of his other little people. In reality, it was, it was Barnabas that had the commanding presence. It was Barnabas that was bigger in stature. It was Barnabas that a lot of people looked to and went, He's, he could be the guy, right? And, and, and again, the big idea here is this. The, the, the final point that I wrote down about Barnabas, Barnabas encouraged others by his humility, by his humility. Instead of make a big name for himself, instead of stepping to the forefront and trying to be the guy, the leader, he was content to step back and fan the flame in Paul, to let Paul be the guy, to let Paul step into the limelight. He didn't have this overwhelming desire to be in charge of everything, even though there were others that probably wanted him to be or thought he should be. He was like, nope. I see what God's doing in this other guy, and I'm going to let, I'm going to fan the flame in him. I'm going to let him lead. Man, that doesn't happen a lot today in a world where people crave power and authority and control. To be content with who God made you to be and your role, to fan the flame in other people and hope for the best for them, that's what we get when we see Barnabas. I saw this, this quote, I wish I could remember where I found it, and since I can't, then I'll just say it's from me. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I thought it was really great, though. There is no limit to what God can do through someone who doesn't care who gets the credit. Hmm? There's no limit to what God can do through someone who doesn't care who gets the credit. That was Barnabas. Barnabas didn't care about who got the credit. He wanted to see the gospel move forward. He wanted to see people come to know Jesus. And if that meant Paul gets the pedestal, Paul gets the limelight, so be it, right? So be it. So, again, I just, as you look at Barnabas' life, man, you just see some real specific ways that he was an encouragement. He was an encouragement. And for some of you this morning, what you need to hear is that you can be an encouragement to others by your generosity. I realize that that's not everybody right now, but for some of you, God has blessed in such a way where, man, in, in a time of the greatest need, you can be, you can be unbelievably generous like Barnabas. You can be a blessing. You can be an encouragement by your generosity. Some of you, what you need to hear today is that you can be an encouragement by your advocacy for someone else. There's someone else in your life that, man, everyone tends to look at through what their past is, all their past, all their sins, all their mistakes, all their failures. And, and today, what you need to hear is, man, you could step up to the plate for that person. You could be an advocate for that person and really change their life. For others of you, what you need to hear is, man, you could be encouragement just by your, by, your, by your rhetoric, by your words, by your exhortation. There's people in your life that just need a, an encouraging word. Man, they're so down and everything's so depressing. And man, you could just come alongside as a brother or sister in Christ and just words of affirmation, words of encouragement. That was Barnabas. Some of you, man, that's what God's asking you to do. Man, others of you, it's just in, it's just in your humility in the sense that, you know, you can die to yourself and fan the flame in someone else. You can, you can have a major pivotal role in someone else's life in helping them to be the person God made them to be. That's what Barnabas did for Saul. That's what Barnabas did for Saul. Because there's no limit to what God can do through someone who doesn't care who gets the credit. There's a lot we can learn from Barnabas. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we're grateful today for your servant named Barnabas. Um, we're thankful that he was such a godly man who um, fanned the flame in someone else. God, that he was an encouragement literally to everybody he came in contact with. 
God, for some of us, that needs to be our ministry. Our ministry maybe isn't going to be to teach or preach or, you know, lead some Bible study or go on some big foreign mission trip. God, for some of us, man, our ministry simply needs to be one of encouragement of other people. So I pray you'd help us to do that. Help us to learn from your servant Barnabas. And and just, God, I pray that even now you would just impress on people's hearts the specific tangible ways that they could be an encouragement to the people you place in their lives. We pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen.